Well, take out your Bible with me, please, and open to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. It's where we were this morning, you might remember. Page 605 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 103. And in just a moment, I'm going to pick up verses 7 to 14. Psalm 103, verses 7 to 14. Uh, It's often the case that a snapshot of someone, especially a candid photo, can capture in some small way the essence of a person. You ever found that to be the case? Someone gets captured, not expecting a photo. Maybe there's a smile, or there's a, a cheeky look, or there's a bit of affection, or there's a laugh in the photo, or a frown maybe, that is, you know, that way. But whatever it is, this candid photo does an incredible job of capturing something of that person's personality, some aspect of who they are. You can probably think of a photo like that. It's a snapshot. That, God, that captures them. That's who they are. I'm thinking of some of the photos of my children and a little cheek, cheeky look in a photo, sort of a snapshot captured of them. And it's like, oh, that's them. That, that captures them. I won't leave them to guess who it is I'm referring to. But we, we have those sort of experiences, don't we? Now, brothers and sisters, tonight... It is important to underscore this truth we're going to be considering, that God is good. He's good. Full stop, God is good. There's a definition we looked at this morning. I'll read that again for us. God is the final standard of good. And all that God is and all that he does is worthy of approval. That's a wonderful description. All that he is, all that he does is worthy of approval. Now, what I want us to do tonight in the brief time we have is I want us to consider God's goodness here in Psalm 103. And really, this is a snapshot. It's a candid photo, if you were. Now, obviously, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist here writes these words. But this small little snapshot, verses 7 to 14, show us vividly the goodness of God. So if you were to go to lots of places in Scripture, you could find descriptions that say explicitly, God is good. The Lord is good. He's faithful. He's good. He's, you hear it all over the place. But here we have a snapshot of God's goodness. And I want us to see this and meditate on it together this evening. I'm going to read from verse 7 to verse 14. Psalm 103. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Now what I want to do is just quickly work our way through this passage, almost word by word or verse by verse. Let's just slowly meditate upon the goodness of God here. Verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. We know God's dealings in the past. They're captured for us in the Old Testament. We know his dealings for us in the New Testament era, after Christ's first coming and the era that followed fallen. 
God has made known to us his ways. He's made known to us his deeds. He did so to Israel. He's done so for us. We have that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, as well as church history, if you follow our ways through. We have a description, an idea of who God is from his ways, from his deeds, from how he operates in relation to humanity. Isn't that wonderful of God? We don't just have sort of statements made about who God is, do we? We do. Of course we do in Scripture. But we also have his ways and his deeds outlined for us. It's often the case, if you want to know what somebody's like, their words are important, of course, but their deeds often give you a clear picture of who they are. If you followed from Genesis, the very beginning of of creation, right the way through the second coming of Christ to the end of Revelation, you'd have a sense of God's goodness, his deeds for us. And look what the psalmist goes on to say. The Lord... The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we could say, in light of all the rest of Scripture. The Lord is compassionate. He's compassionate. He sees the needs of his people. He knows your needs better than you know them. He he knows your real needs. And sometimes we think we need things, and he knows what we actually need. And he's compassionate in light of our needs. He deals tenderly with us, us who are foolish, us who are needy, us who are sinners, he's compassionate with us. I want to come back to that in a moment. We'll see that down in verse 13. He's compassionate with us. He's gracious with us. He gives us what we don't deserve. We deserve his judgment because of our sin. We have rejected him and turned away from him. He does not give us immediate judgment. Think of that in a moment as well. But he gives us life and forgiveness and friendship. He gives us the body of Christ. He gives us life eternal with him one day. He's gracious. We deserve condemnation. He gives us justification. We deserve eternal torment. He gives us life. How gracious is God? The psalmist goes on to say he's slow to anger. He's slow to anger. How different from us God is. We are rash, aren't we? We are emotional. We are easily provoked. We're quick to anger in all sorts of circumstances. Not God. He's slow to anger. Of course, as the psalmist implies here, he does does know something of anger. He's certainly angry with sin and rebellion against his glorious name. But he's not quick to anger like we are. There's a deliberateness and a purposefulness to God's anger, a, a rightness, we could say. And of course, his anger is there, but verse 8 goes on to say he's abounding in love. He's abounding in love. I, I, I read the word abounding there, and I think like a, a pitcher of water. It sort of never, never imp- ever empties. It sort of always flows, it abounds, continues to come, continues to come, continues to come. The Lord abounds in what? In love. He has an overflowing delight in and care for his creatures at great cost to himself. God loves and does good to his people. He's abounding in love. (laughs) Right? It's amazing. Verse 9. Verse 9 and 10, I think we could link up there together. He will not always accuse. His accusations, when he accuses, they're accurate. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our failures. But he doesn't accuse forever. He'll not always accuse. 
He does rightly accuse, but they'll come to an end one day. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That the reasons God has to accuse us one day will come to an end. The sin is no more. He doesn't harbor, verse 9, his anger forever. His anger, again, is rightly and timely executed. It's, it's meted out, his anger. He doesn't harbor it forever. No, it's not like God is hot under the collar and he's like, I can't believe these people. It's awful. It's not like he's annoyed like we so often are. He doesn't harbor his anger forever. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of give, give in to sort of impetuous judgment. No. <laughs> he will not always accuse. He won't harbor his anger forever. We'll think in a moment about where his anger has been directed so that he doesn't harbor his anger forever. Verse 10 he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Our sins deserve immediate judgment, quick judgment, rightly so. No, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's patient, he's kind, he's forbearing. He's to repay us according to our iniquities. Now, certainly God does repay us for iniquities. But in one sense, we know through the Lord Jesus Christ, our iniquities have been paid on our Savior. He doesn't treat us as our sin deserves. deserves. We deserve to be immediately judged, to be cast out of God's presence forever in hell. No, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve because he's treated Christ as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. No, Christ has been treated according to our iniquities, punished for us. It's a wonderful way to put it. He's poured his wrath out on a substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you starting to get a little sense of God's goodness here? Are you starting to get a sense for what good is and how all that God is and all that he does is worthy of approval? Let's crack on. Verse 11. I love this description. His love is at such a height. It's amazing. As high as the heavens are above the earth. Picture that for a moment. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. <laughs> Continuing the geography sort of lesson here, right? Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. Now, no children, young people, you have some idea of where countries and places and the sort of main oceans are across the world, right? How far is the east from the west? You could say, you can never quite join them up. It, it's, it's infinite, right? The, you never, as long as you're going east, you're, you're, you're kind of infinitely far away from the west. As far as you're going west, it's kind of infinitely far away from the east. You never quite can join them up, right? And that's the point. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, infinitely far. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's how far he removes our sin from us as our sin is punished on the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. Our sin is washed away, cast away, done, dusted. That is God's great love and forgiveness through Christ. Verse 13, as a father with his children, so God has compassion on his children. He has compassion on those who fear him, verse 13. God genuinely sees the needs of his children, as every earthly father should do. God is the father upon whom, from whom every earthly father derives their name and upon which every earthly father is a, a sort of imperfect derivative, right? Earthly fathers should be compassionate. They should see the needs of their children and be gentle 
firm but gentle with their children, addressing those needs, leading them through those needs. God does that perfectly. Such is his goodness. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And of course, the psalmist then wraps up this particular section with the, the why. How or why is he so compassionate? Well, he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our dust likeness, our origins, which are of dust that he breathed life into. He treats us generously and with dignity and kindness. He knows our frailties and our weaknesses. He is good. Do you see this? From start to finish in this little section of Psalm 103, we see this snapshot, don't we? The utter, complete, absolute goodness of God. Everything about him, everything he is and does, is worthy of approval. Nobody can say, oh, God's kind of rubbish, isn't he? Nobody can say, oh, God, I'm not really sure about that. No, he's good. He's the standard of good. This is what he's like. That's snapshot for us this evening. Now let me quickly then just apply this in three brief ways and then we'll be done. The first way to apply this is this. Good, friends, is what God is. Now that might sound simplistic because we've been saying that, but good is what he is. It's not like you can separate that from who he is or break that category off. No, good is just what God is. He is good. God is where we look to determine what good is. You want to know what good is? You want to know how do we figure out if something's good? Compare it to God. He's the standard by which good is determined. Often we have an idea of good. We think of things or circumstances or places as being good if they're pleasant to us or they're comfortable for us or they're what I like. That's perfectly fine to use good in those sorts of ways. It's not a problem. But it kind of gets things the wrong way around, doesn't it? Because good is God. Good is him and what he does. Anything that comes from him or reflects him, that's how we know it's good. So there's good things you enjoy in this life. It's derivative from him. (laughs) It's a gift from him. It's a reflection of him, who he is and what he's like. Good is God. All other good is measured by whether it matches or follows on from God. So how do we know that we're not good? Well, we're not like God. We're not like this. We, should, we could read through this sort of with an inverse glance and see, ah, I'm not like that. In fact, I don't match up to God's standard here. I'm not good, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3. I fall short of the glory of God. Our God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is supreme and supremely good. Keep that straight. Remember that. Good is what God is. Second application point quickly. And this is related to the first. And you might sort of hear this and you might think, oh, that sounds just like what you just said. Well, kind of. But I think this follows on from the first application point. Where your experience or your feelings tell you otherwise. And so we believe that God is good. We're proclaiming his goodness. We're describing his goodness here in Psalm 103. But sometimes your experience and your feelings tell you otherwise. You know what I mean. Those moments where you think God can't be good and this happened. God, God can't be good and, and, and this be my experience. It just can't be the way it is. 
When your experience or your feelings tell you otherwise, remember God is always good. Always good. All of us feel, we see, we go through moments, and those feelings, those things we see, those those experiences we have, those experiences are decidedly not good. And it's okay to say that. We experience tremendous loss. Debilitating diagnoses. We have redundancies and significant job changes. We have broken relationships. We have all sorts of hurt and pain and failure. Not good. But what we often do is we then naturally, in our natural state, we naturally read God through the lens of our experiences. So we say, I feel not good. Therefore, God can't be good. Now, we wouldn't say those things, but that's often how we feel. Instead, it would be better for us to say, God is good. Whatever the circumstances, I know God is good. This is what I do know. Now, this is rubbish. Whatever it is I'm experiencing, this is rubbish. This thing is not good to me. I know that too, but I know God is good. I have to work harder in the hard moments, in the unpleasant moments. I have to work harder to see and remember that God is good. And that God is good even when he gives me hard things. Now, of course, we we can't always easily join up the dots, can we? Because our circumstances and our feelings and our lives, we're, we're mixed. It's hard. But we've got to remember this, emblazon this truth in our hearts and our minds. God is good. Roman, sorry, Psalm 103, God is good. Our experience does not change the truth. This truth must shape our experience. God is good, always. Third and final application for us as we wrap up. And it's this. Rest in these verses. Rest in this truth of God's goodness. And I mean literally be comforted by it. Be encouraged in it. Be thankful for it. God is good. God the Father is good. He's a loving and compassionate Father who knows the needs of his children and is at work for his children's good, even though it doesn't feel like it. The the Son is good as he in his righteousness laid his life down for us on the cross, bearing our sin, our shame, punished in our place. Rising again three days later, the Son is good as he sits on high interceding on our behalf. The Spirit is good as he dwells in us and comforts us and directs us and inspires the word and illuminates the word as he gives new life to sinners. The Spirit is good. We must remember these things. We must rest here. I don't remember where this quote comes from. It might be C.S. Lewis. You might be able to track it down and find it for me, but I really appreciate it. All will be well and all manner of things shall be well. In light of God's goodness, it's true. All will be well, and all manner of things will be well. In the morning when you wake up, you need to remind yourself, God is good. He's good. Whatever this day might hold, God is still good. When you put your head on the pillow at night, and you've had a really full day, and you might not be able to fall asleep for some time, God is good. When you sit down to eat, And maybe your meal looks really appetizing, or maybe it doesn't, or whatever it is you've got, as long as you have a meal, or even if you don't have a meal, God is good. 
When you sit down at your desk at work, when you travel elsewhere for work, or if you're at home and your work is at home, remember God is good. He's always good. When you're crying, because whatever circumstance you're going through is hard, that doesn't change God's goodness. When you're all positive and everything seems to be on the up, God is good. He was good then. He was good before when you were crying, just like he's good when things are going well. Brothers and sisters, we must have heaven's view of our lives. And in the heavenly throne room, they know of God's goodness. The saints who gather around the throne, the the heavenly beings who offer worship and praise to God, they constantly declare his goodness. He's holy, holy, holy. He's set apart. He's distinct. He's pure. They know his goodness, don't they, in heaven? One day we will too. We'll see it fully, comprehensively, finally, when we are gathered around the throne. But we must remember today, God is good. Until that day comes. That day is coming, but until we're there. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and honor this evening that you are good. We've seen this snapshot of your goodness tonight. Father, what a blessing it is to have your word. And we pray that tonight our minds and our hearts might be renewed. That we might be refreshed as we consider your goodness. And this week as we live and experience all sorts of ups and downs, may we be reminded of your goodness. And when things seem tumultuous and difficult, may we rest here. When things are on the up and positive and where all seems right with the world, those moments happen, may we know that you're good. Father, may we rejoice in you and give you the praise that's due to your name. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.